0: Coming to you via the internet and your friends at PipesMagazine.com, it's the Pipes Magazine Radio Show. I think the only reason I've been the announcer this long is I remind Kevin Godby of his mother. Now I invite you to sit back, relax. The smoking lamp is lit. Here's your host, Brian Levine. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Pipes Magazine radio show, yes, the sometimes irreverent, sometimes educational, but always entertaining weekly pipe-smoking broadcast, and I'm your host, Brian Levine, wishing you a happy verne, uh, vernal equinox, sorry, anyway, uh, on this week's show in pipe parts, Ask the Pipe Maker with uh, Jeff Graysick. And then my guest will be uh, part two of Ask the Experts, volume two, and that will be with the pipe stud, Steve Fallon. Uh, Music, mailbag, and rant, all that coming up on this week's episode of the Pipes Magazine radio show. And yes, it is spring here in the Northern Hemisphere, so sorry, Southern Hemisphere, we are taking that big orange ball back, and we are warming up, and we are getting outside, and feeling the sunshine and eh, as you can tell i'm happy um but let's get a whole bunch of business out of the way first uh first of all you must be of legal smoking age wherever you are in order to listen to this show fine got that out of the way uh two itunes ratings and reviews would be much appreciated amazon ratings reviews please keep sharing the uh the pipes magazine radio show in all your uh, pipe clubs, pipe groups, pipe zooms, wherever pipe make, uh, wherever pipe smokers are, please keep sharing out the Pipes Magazine radio show podcast to all your friends. And remember, there is uh, a whole bunch of episodes there, all free and available to go back and listen to at any time. So uh, tell them, hey, jump right in. The water is fine. Also, JDRF auctions are coming up. Uh, coming up in May. So please reach out to me, Brian, B-R-I-A-N at pipesmagazine.com or, uh, follow me on Facebook or Instagram and send me a message there. Uh, we've already got a couple of cool items sent in and, uh, you know, thank you very much to those that sent, but we sure could use more. The more you send, the more we raise And uh, that includes you uh, pipe makers and uh, vendors and uh, suppliers and everybody. So uh, let's get the stuff going and uh, we really do appreciate it. I think we've raised uh, north of $13,000 in seven years of doing this. So it's a lot of money. All right, let's get the show rolling. So everybody sit back, relax, fire up a bowl. Thank you all for tuning in and here we go.
1: There's nothing quite like fishing at dawn or smoking my genuine Missouri Meerschaum corncob pipe, an American legend since 1869. It's the coolest, smoothest pipe I've ever owned. Check them out at corncobpipe.com.
0: We are back on the pipes magazine radio show and joining us again and again and again. And you're like the energizer bunny of pipe makers, Jeff. I, that's it. Just you're, keep on going. You just keep going and going. But
2: mm-hmm.
1: joining
0: us again for ask the pipe maker is the pipe maker, Jeffrey Allen, Burt Graysick, better known as Jeff.
1: That's me. Thanks for having me back.
0: All right. Here's your question. Are you ready?
1: Oh, Always.
0: Uh, Jonathan says, "Uh, I apologize if this has been covered before. I've fallen a bit behind on episodes lately, but can you discuss or clarify the design element of the teardrop shank? I've seen it referenced in pipe descriptions and by pipe makers but I'm still unclear on exactly what it is. Is it simply a straight line break between the two convex curves on the shank similar to a horn or Zulu shape, or is it something about the bend in the shank?
1: Got it. Got it. Yeah. Well, seeing as this is a podcast or, you know, the equivalent of a radio show, uh, it's going to be difficult for us to (laughs) show you a photo of this, uh, this shape. But that would be the easiest way to talk with We're going to go the hard way because that's how Brian does it.
0: If we talk with our hands while we do this, it will help.
1: Oh, I think so. I think so. That's how, that's how all the professional radio guys do it. Yeah. Yeah. So, no, it's a, it's a good question and I can see how, um, how using terms like this without having, um, without having a visual, uh, visual of what we're talking about can be a little challenging. So, um, I'll I'll work from the back of your question to the front. Um, It doesn't have anything to do with the bend of the shank uh, or the shape of the shank from the side profile, if you were to hold the the pipe up from the side. Uh, Instead, what it is referring to is if you look at the end of the shank as if the pipe were in your mouth and you remove the mouthpiece from it, the profile of the end of the shank looks like a teardrop and usually it's a teardrop turned on its side so the pointed part that would normally be facing up on a teardrop is facing to one side or the other and the purpose of this design element is to create a line that runs from the end of the shank the edge of the end uh the edge of the uh end of the shank all the way to the bottom of the bowl and up to the top it's just a nice little um, uh, design flourish that was originally conceived by... Well, th- this is where we get into trouble. Um, <laughs> I, I, I've talked to uh, three of the uh, Danish pipe masters uh, who have all claimed to have been the originator of the shape. So I'm <laughs> not here to uh, to make claims of truth about who is, uh, who is correct. But what I will say is that um, the as it was described to me by yes, Conovich, the, it, uh, this teardrop shank shape was created, um, for his, uh, for his blowfish shape. Now we're not talking about the crosscut blowfish that a lot of us refer to as a fugu, uh, that you see in hero Tokatomi's work that you see from in my work and a lot of the Danish pipe makers. Uh, we're talking the, what I call a classic blowfish. Um, and this is a, an egg-shaped bowl that has that line that I'm describing that runs from the top of the bowl, down the side, underneath the bowl, and then to the end of the teardrop shank. And the reason it's called a blowfish is because it looked like what in, uh, it, it was a, a, a fish from a fish tank called a blowfish that would leap out of the water and turn back over itself. And when it turned in the air, um you could see the tail flip around and that's what this shape was trying to emulate
0: <laughs> uh, so there there's absolutely no functionality for it it's purely design purely design and and i'm assuming because of so if you you know the the shank the shank then has a round side on one side of it and a pointy side on the other side yeah you got that absolutely. you got that pointy part so you can't really turn that on a lathe, can you?
1: No, no, absolutely not. This is a, um, this is entirely a hand-shaped, uh, design element. Um, I mean, there are, there are some pretty complicated, um, uh, like CNC computer guided machinery now that can replicate this pretty accurately, but it it still is, or at least it, it came from, uh, entirely the, the handmade tradition, um. Is
0: there anything to say about maybe the comfort of holding the pipe? Because if you wrap your, you know, right. if you hold the pipe with your finger, you know, in between your index finger and your middle finger, does the pipe set better in towards your, in towards your hand and let your finger wrap around the round part? Yeah. Uh, is there, I'm trying to find anything functional for it because right? I hate the teardrop shanks. And when you're done talking, <laughs> I'll tell you why.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know that there's anything necessarily functional about it. A lot of people like to consider a pipe design either right-handed or left-handed or, or a pipe where you want to hook your thumb behind the bowl and the, your, your thumb will sit nicely in the crease between the shank and the bowl. Uh, or your your index. if you hold the pipe between your index finger and your middle finger, you can cradle it nicely that way. I haven't found it's more or less comfortable on one side than the other. But I do have a theory about possibly one of the inspirations for, for this design. Um, my guess is that it could have been while, while it's, it said that the inspiration is from this, seeing this fish leap out of the air. A lot of times when pipe makers come up with a new design, it's not a design that's made on paper or even made in their heads. A lot of times those designs are on-the-fly modifications that occur due to flaws that you find <laughs> as you're making a pipe. And so my theory is that this design was originally conceived to remove a flaw on one side of what would have been an oval or, or a wider shank on um, w- with a bowl that had a, a brandy shape or an egg shape, like I described. And in removing that, um, that flaw you're you are (laughs) progressively removing material on the top of one side of the shank. And eventually you try to figure out how, now, how am I going to clean this up? How am I going to dress this up and make it look like I tried to do this? And you know, voila, you have a a new shape. I've, I've certainly done this during my career where I ended up with a design that I never set out to create, or at least a, a flourish in a design. That I never uh, set out to create simply because uh, there were uh, inclusions in the briar that I hadn't anticipated, (laughs) and and I mean doing that,
0: you know, modifying a design like that and re and yeah, or modifying a pipe like that is that's a very Danish thing to do because the Danes didn't have a lot of sandblasting equipment laying around. Yeah, I know, I know a handful of them that if they needed to sandblast a pipe, they'd have to wait for stan- for their time at the Stanwell factory. Cause that's where the or sandblaster was. That. Yeah, mm-hmm.
1: Or yeah. I mean, yeah. for a long time, for a long time, really the two, the two main sources of sandblasting in Denmark were the, the Stanwell pipe factory and uh, uh, Hans former Nielsen.
0: <laughs> and there is, that's where all the sand mm-hmm. was delivered to. All right. So, mm-hmm. and then just to wrap this up, I'll explain why I hate the teardrop shape. And I simply hate it because it doesn't fit comfortably into the little loops or slots in a pipe bag. And and, and that works with any pipe that is a wide shank or a flared shank or anything that if it doesn't fit like that, I just don't like it. I'm,
1: and I hear you. And, And this is actually a complaint that I've heard from some other customers, not necessarily that it doesn't fit well into a pipe bag, but it doesn't fit into a, um, a traditionally designed pipe stand one of the yeah. wooden pipe stands that has a little spoon cut out to hold the bowl and then either a, a loop or, um, I, I'm showing Jeff mine right now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And these don't, these really don't like to sit nicely in those things. So, uh, you need to find alternative ways to display and, and store this design of pipe.
0: Hopefully we have not made anybody cry over our, uh, discussion of teardrop shanks.
1: I, uh, I, one last interjection. I, I disagree and I love this look.
0: Well, personally, okay, fine. You're the pipe maker, Jeff. Thank That's you right. very much. Happy to help. <laughs> we'll, we'll be back in just a minute. This is internet radio. we are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show for another seven questions for seven experts, volume two, episode two, with uh, the one and only Pipe Stud, you know them all, Steve Fallon. Steve, welcome back to the show.
3: Man, I was so excited when uh, you asked me if I'd be back on. I, I put it on my calendar, I put it on my Alexa. Told my wife to remind me. I mean, I was excited, still am, and it's always a pleasure to be here. And uh, I'm still just shivering uh, in anticipation.
0: And thus, the reason Texans wear boots—it's to keep high up out of that stuff.
3: Well, you know, you've got to do that. Uh, yeah. Somebody's got to herd those cattle, and you know, boots are a good thing to wear when you're herding them.
0: Yeah, I like that discussion a couple of weeks back with uh, Mike McNeil, who thought you had a whole bunch of cattle because apparently he, <laughs> even he thought everybody in Texas had beef.
3: <laughs> uh, well, he you know he's he's pretty close to it himself. You know, I, I am full of bull, but uh, the uh, the cattle part, no.
0: Yeah. All right, here we go. Ready for your seven questions? You fire away. If you could only sell her one hundred tins. Would you prefer to have one hundred tins of one blend, fifty tins each of two blends, twenty five tins each of four blends, or ten tins each of ten blends? Fifty each of two blends. And let me guess, Royal Yacht and Five Brothers.
3: Those are the two.
0: Okay, good. We're done with that dumb question for you. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, now for those that don't remember and to fill up time that's because you blend those that's your that's your mixture you blend those two together you put one on top of the other
3: yeah and it's uh it's marvelous
0: for some people um, <laughs> but you do you do stack them right so the five brothers is on the bottom and the and the royal yachts on the top
3: well as usual you're backwards uh-huh. the uh royal yachts on the bottom but it's a kind of a parfait deal I put the uh, I put about 30% Royal Yacht in the bottom of the bowl, and then the rest of it's Five Brothers, and that's my normal go-to smoke. Now, do you
0: actually get down to the point where you smoke the actual Royal Yacht, or do you just leave it down there as a filter?
3: I I love the flavoring that Royal Yacht has in it. We're talking Murray's era, because that's the only Royal Yacht uh, I'll put in my pipe. Uh, And then when I get down to the point where uh, I start burning Royal Yacht tobacco, I don't like that taste, so I put it out. (laughs)
0: it's <laughs> potpourri all right there you go uh and uh, question number two is what would those blends be so that would be uh five brothers the uh the burley blend and royal yacht um the uh but the murray's era have you tried the other era, the the newer versions of royal yacht
3: yeah, you know, Brian. The uh, in, in all seriousness, the uh, I, I can't tell what they were trying to do uh, with that one. They Orlick did a real good job of, of remaking, you know, a lot of the Dunhill blends that were Murray's. But with Royal Yacht, they tried two or three different uh, flavorings. Uh, they tried two or three different cuts. I got it one time when it was a broken flake, another time when it was almost a shag. Uh, it just it was not consistent. It was totally different, and I just gave up.
0: Do you think they might age okay, or you just you just gave up and said forget it? I, you know, when it runs out, when you run out of Murray's, you're done.
3: Well, uh, you know, I think that because of the fact that I really go for the flavoring that Murray's had, you know, it was a mysterious flavoring. They said they'd never uh, do it again with any other blend, and that's I remember back when I called Mark Burroughs back in the year 2000. As a matter of fact, he was the guy that ran the uh, you know the Dunhill store, uh, tobacconist portion, and I had him. Make me 10 100 gram tins of Elizabethan with the Royal Yacht flavoring in it. And Brian, if I knew then, or if I knew now what I knew then, I'd tell you, I I could have, I should have bought a hundred of them I, even if I went broke. That was the best tobacco I think I ever tasted in my life.
0: Well, but you got to try it.
3: All right, yeah, I did get to try it.
0: Moving on to number three. Uh, what is the oldest tobacco you have smoked and how was your experience with it?
3: Well, the oldest tobacco that I ever smoked, I remember specifically, uh, and I tried it just because I wanted to see what it would be like, but it was, it was an old three nuns cutter top and the tobacco was extremely dry. I tried to moisturize it a little bit, uh, but it was from the 1940s and, um, uh, it was it was not pleasant. Uh, so I, I specifically remember that. Yeah. Was
0: there an old tobacco that you smoked that was pleasurable?
3: Uh, yeah. As a matter of fact, uh, when we say old, I, I considered it old. It was a it was a nineteen ninety six or ninety five. I can't remember which right now. Uh, One hundred gram tin of McClellan's number twenty seven. And I thought I was in church having a new religious experience. I mean, it was unbelievable. Uh, uh, to this day, I can remember that flavor. And I've, I've tried to duplicate it, but can't. Uh, I, whenever I get some old uh, number 27, still tastes great. But uh, whatever it was in that particular tin or batch that Mike had put together for number 27 was an award winner.
0: All right. Moving on. Are you Ready. Ready. How has your preference in pipes changed over time? You know, for example, bent versus straight, large versus small, smooth versus rusticated, I don't know, you know, metal versus briar?
3: Well, <laughs> I never got into the metal thing. Uh, but the uh, uh, the fact is, when I started, I tried everything because I just didn't know what I liked. Uh, I went with uh, Danish Freehands to, uh, you know, Dunhill Uh, straight billiard, you know, everything. I kind of settled in about 15 years ago into a motif, which I keep today, uh, and that is American-made sandblast pipes, and mostly in the classic shapes, uh, you you know, Liverpools, Canadians, billiards, uh, variations thereof. Lately, though, and by lately, I mean the last couple of years, I've started really uh, finding an appreciation for the bent apples, but with the real thick bowls. And so uh, I've gotten some of those from some of the American pipe makers, too. But uh, they all have to be tan blasts or, or natural blasts with no stain whatsoever. Uh, and and uh, I have to know the carver. If I don't know the person, I, I won't buy uh, one of their pipes until I get to know them. So it's been fun for me to do because I go to so many pipe shows and meet so many of them. Uh, it's, it's just been a fun collection that way.
0: Why do you like the tan or natural blast color?
3: Well, I like the fact that—pardon me—I like the fact that when smoking them, you don't have to be quite as careful as you do with a smooth, uh, wonderfully grain pipe that you're afraid you might scratch here or there.
2: Yeah.
3: Uh, number two, I believe, uh, contrary to whether popular or unpopular opinion, uh, I believe they smoke a little bit cooler than a smooth pipe. Uh, I also like the way they feel in the hand. I like the way they color uh, as uh, they've been smoked over a period of years. Whether it's because of the, uh, you know, the tobacco being smoked in the bowl, or maybe I have dirty hands. I don't know, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> it's,
0: it's from uh, wrestling all them doggies.
3: Yeah, that might be it. I wonder why I found some hair on some of them. But anyway, <laughs> uh, I, I just uh, I'm I'm just a big sucker for them.
0: And they and and you do like the way they kind of color out. Do you? Uh, do you yep. also kind of like the way a sandblast might kind of smooth down over the years?
3: Yes, I've got, uh, I mean, I find it interesting. I love the way they do that. I've got a Bruce Weaver uh, Lovat that I've had since 2007. That's the one I think I've told you before. I smoke every morning of the week, seven days a week. Yeah. Uh, and uh, the sharpness of the blast uh, is gone. Uh, it's darkened. Oh, man, has it ever darkened considerably. <laughs> it looks like the top's been fumed, but the uh, uh, but it still smokes like a charm. And I, I just love it. I mean, I, I just think that sandblasts uh, in the tan blast or natural, uh, no stain blast, uh, just have a way of looking smokable, rustic, if you will, a, after a period of time when they've been smoked. I remember smoking. Uh, I, I worked a trade uh, one time with... Um, uh, Hubert, I can't remember. Paul, yeah, Paul Hubert of uh, of uh, what's the name of that brand? Larryson? That, um Larison, yeah. yeah. And by the way, he's not going to make pipes anymore. But uh, uh, we'd worked a trade, and he, he sent me a beautiful and it smokes wonderful uh, thick billiard sort of tan blast. But he he made the top smooth. I like I like the tops to be blasted uh, because for whatever reason. I can burn the heck out of a smooth-looking top. <laughs> and so anyway, we were on the, we were, uh, emailing back and forth one day, and I showed him a picture of his pipe. I said, well, as you can tell, uh, this pipe has been well-enjoyed, and thank you so much. And his response was, my gosh, pipe stud, what have you done to my pipe? <laughs> uh, I looked at it. And it was a little black on the rim, but, you know.
0: Yeah, well, they're meant to be burnt up, and apparently you burn them up pretty good. <laughs> yeah, I can do it. We're going to take a break right here when we come back. More questions with uh, Steve Fallon, The Pipe Stud.
4: Italians have always been known for their aesthetic passion. It's their birthright, their legacy. And just like Savinelli, it continues to grow and evolve. It is ever-changing. Milan, 1876. Each year, Savinelli debuts a series of new, forward-thinking designs comprised of quality-crafted pipes shaped from some of the best briar in the world. Behind every beautiful object, there's a story. Start your own chapter. Visit your local tobacconist or premium online dealer today.
0: And we are back on the Pipes Magazine Radio Show, visiting with the Pipe Stud Steve Fallon for Seven Experts Part Two. Uh, Steve, got to be, gotta, you know, it's got to be quite a big honor to be asked back for a second time. Uh, I'm just thinking out loud.
3: Well, you know, Brian, it's always an honor to be on, whether it's the first time or the tenth time. <laughs> you know, I just cross my fingers and hope you ask again at some point.
0: I may get desperate enough. Um, no, but well, uh, I hope so. Yeah. Uh, So the, so going back to your uh, Bruce Weaver pipe, that's the answer to the question. God forbid there was a fire in the house and it was your family or the pipe, you know, you're you're grabbing that pipe. Um, Anyway, moving on to the next question. Are you ready? I'm ready. What is the pipe that you own that has the most sentimental value to you and why?
3: Well, Brian, actually, uh, I'm pretty excited about the fact that uh, my wife doesn't listen to your show, uh, and not because she doesn't want to. I just never have told her about it, but <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. She knows about the show. The uh, fact of the matter is, when I was dating my wife back uh, in um, 1999 for Christmas, she gave me a pipe and some tobacco and a copy of uh, Pipes and Tobacco's magazine. Uh, and that was my that was my Christmas gift for nineteen ninety nine well she didn't know anything about pipes. We just started dating, so she just went to a, a local tobacco shop, saw a few um you know up up uh, up on the on the little what do they call those things those little pegboards yeah. <laughs> so she just picked one that she thought was pretty and uh, I, I gotta tell you uh, i I smoke it uh, every Christmas for her. And to this day, hell itself couldn't be hotter.
0: <laughs> so, so you smoke it on Christmas Day, and by Easter, your tongue is your tongue is <laughs> resurrected.
3: Yeah, there you go. But I, I smoke it very slowly and just enough so that she can see me smoking it. And she has a big smile on her face. She goes, "Oh, I'm so glad you still." Uh, feel the same way about that pipe as when you first got it and i said i guarantee you honey, i do feel the same, <laughs> same way <laughs> about this pipe now as i did 21 years ago
0: <laughs> now as long as we're talking about your dear lovely wife the reason that she doesn't listen to the podcast is that she can't stand not seeing me and hugging me while hearing my voice so
3: well yeah but i wasn't gonna say that
0: oh okay well we uh, won't say yeah. that okay all right uh, next question for you ready ready how does situation affect your pipe and tobacco choice? Outdoor versus indoor, morning versus evening, on the go? But you're, you're pretty much a curmudgeonly old codger, and you just want one pipe and one tobacco anyway.
3: Well, actually, uh, if I'm in the summer months, when, when uh, I'm out on the back patio, uh, after uh, doing my work and getting my workout done, I'll, I'll sit down and uh, I'll enjoy a pipe. But I really struggle because uh, a lot of times uh, it's so humid here in Texas mm-hmm. that um, you know, it's hard to keep that tobacco dry. I have a couple little things I do to keep it dry inside, but once I've you know, packed the pipe and gone outside and sat down. But I have found uh, that um, uh, tobacco leaf that doesn't attract moisture like Lottakia, uh I'll mix in a lot of Kia with just some straight, Older five brothers that I have that's uh, you know been dried out and it'll take a while to get it uh, loos uh, moistened again and I'll smoke that uh, and I think that that helps a little bit but I, I don't enjoy the pipe as much as I do with uh, uh, a blend that I would prefer like with some Virginia in it or Virginia Orientals which I love too but the um, uh, but the fact is in the summer months it's tough now in the in the winter uh just my same old same old routine, no problem at all. So the only time that the weather dictates change is uh, in the summer uh, down here in Texas, which unfortunately is about five months out of the year.
0: <laughs> yeah, and based off of recent experiences, I bet you all are ready for that summer. Oh, uh, man,
3: you're not kidding. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, do you, I tasted pretty good during all that snow and ice, though, uh, <laughs> in fifty degree weather in my house. Uh, anything to warm me up.
0: Do you? Uh, are there certain pipes that you won't take and smoke outside?
3: Well, actually, Brian, I, you know I only have two or three uh, pipes that I'll smoke uh, during that four to six hour time or four to six p.m. time slot. Uh, so I know what they are, and they're all they're all sandblasted with the the um, uh, with the sandblasted rims. Uh, I'll admit that uh, the one I did take out a Mark kensky pipe one one evening that had a smooth rim, uh, and uh, I had a couple of margaritas because we had some friends over, and uh, maybe I had three. I don't know, but all I know is the next day I came in the house or came in my shop and I uh, pulled out that pipe to clean it and uh noticed that uh, the rim had been all burned up so <laughs> that's uh, that was a no-no but other than that i uh i've pretty much stuck with the old faithfuls
0: when you travel do you take your uh, do you take your bruce weaver pipe with you or does it stay home because you're afraid that something might happen to it
3: no no i take it with me it's been uh it's been everywhere i've been uh, that's that's always one i take first smoke of the day uh i've i've uh, got some other pipes you know some smaller uh, bent apples uh that i'll take just because they're easier to you know to carry but for the weaver pipe i do break it down uh remove the stem from the bowl and, and wrap it uh really nicely and put it in a, a travel bag that i have and make sure that that one doesn't get hurt
0: <laughs> and i'm assuming it goes on the plane with you in the overhead or somewhere it doesn't go in the suitcase underneath
3: Right, yeah, the uh what I do is I just take uh, uh you know one of those bags that uh you see all the kids going to school wearing, I just sling it over my shoulder and make sure I keep my eye on it. And uh I know that when I go through they always want to look at every nook and cranny in the bag. But anyhow, uh I figure it's better to be safe than sorry, so it stays with me.
0: All right, and moving on to question number 7. What famous pipe smoker from the past would you like to share a bowl with? And it has to be someone who you never met.
3: I really would just because I, uh, I'm, and you probably get this answer from a lot of people, but I would really love to, to sit and talk with Albert Einstein. He seemed to have a really great personality. A lot of humor, uh, was, was so brilliant. Not even funny, but, uh, looked like he just loved smoking his pipes when he smoked i'd really enjoy that
0: do you think you'd understand anything that he was talking about
3: (laughs) no but just the just being with albert einstein i don't know it might make me (laughs) smarter
0: if you let your hair grow any longer you may have his hairstyle too
3: hey i cut that hair Uh uh-oh i've got my i got my covid shot first one And uh, uh, now I'm into week three, so I before I get to second one. But anyhow, I felt like, you know, three weeks after that first one ought to be good. So I went and got got my hair cut. Do
0: you think Einstein was, uh, was, do you think he was a pipe smoker that would sit down with his pipe? Or was the pipe something that he would smoke it while he was doing something else?
3: you know I've seen pictures of him doing both really uh, I've seen him up at uh, you know blackboard with the pipe in one hand and a pointer in the other I've seen him sitting with uh, other people uh, holding his pipe and while he was talking and uh, you know I heard he was not uh, what we would call a real sanitary pipe smoker he had <laughs> he had pipe sh- uh, tobacco shards all over his house and uh, his jackets were always uh, having holes in them because of burns and that his pipes were really caked up good. And, uh, but, hey, he just loved what, what he did.
0: <laughs> Do you think he'd smoke your, uh, your Five Brothers and Royal Yacht mixer with you?
3: <laughs> <laughs> well, Brian, I think from what I've read, uh, he'll sm- he would smoke just about anything to see what it was like. Uh, you know, he was out of pipe tobacco. One uh, You've probably heard this story. He was out of pipe tobacco one time while he was talking to a group of college students in a class. And uh, so he couldn't light his pipe. And one student uh, took out a cigarette, uh, or a couple of cigarettes, actually, and got all the tobacco out of it. And, and uh, took it up and offered it to him. And he packed his pipe with it and smoked. And he said, I think we found something here. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I think he'd smoke just about anything, even my five brothers.
0: Wow. All right, here's your bonus question. Uh, what are other hobbies that you have?
3: Well, I really don't know that you'd call them hot. Uh, Mainly, it's uh, if I'm not uh, working and, uh, or stopping to have a drink on the back patio and burning up uh, the rims of pipes. Uh, I, do have a, I, I do have a deal with myself that I've had for years and years and years, and that is I can't sit down and have a drink and smoke my pipe in the evenings until after I've had my workout. So uh, I've got a, a little mini gym set up out in what I call the barn. It's really a storage building. Uh, and then I also have a path around the pasture. Uh, four times around is a mile. So uh, I alternate all that kind of stuff. And once that's done, then I get I get to go sit down and have my pipe and my uh, – uh, my, it's called Cayman Jack. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but uh, mm-hmm. it's a real light kind of margarita tasting drink uh so that's what i have that's my that's my hobby i used to love playing tennis used to love going fishing uh never got into golf but uh i just hadn't uh, other than when i go to the coast on in the summers i don't fish so that's only once a year that i get to fish anymore and i just hadn't picked up a racket in i don't know 25 years
0: they have tennis courts in texas
3: oh yeah loaded with them
0: wow Uh, that there's a pretty sophisticated sport for uh, texas (laughs)
3: <laughs> well it's not it's not you know too terribly hard it was kind of hard to figure out that scoring system when i first learned but once i got the hang of it you know 15 love 30 love i'd go whoa whoa whoa, what, what's how do why do you jump from 15 to 30 i don't get it you know <laughs> uh why did it from one to two to three to three to one to three to two but uh i learned it and i went ahead i heard it was an english kind of a thing that uh, they started so figured what the heck i'll do as the english do
0: <laughs> All right. Well, we got a little bit of time. You want to update us on what's going on with the uh, with the world famous pipe stud consignment shop and and business and um, and enterprise?
3: <laughs> well, thank you for asking. It's uh, it, it was uh, what started out as I thought it was a curse turned into a blessing. Uh, you know, a lot of people know about the fact that the Texas comptroller's office shut me down because I was uh, working out of my home at a shop back behind the house. And uh, I had done a blog about it on my website and uh, showed photos and everything of uh, Pipestuds comp- consignment shop. And somebody reported me uh, that knew the law better than I. And uh, so I got a call from a criminal investigator with the uh, Texas comptroller's office. <clears throat> and uh, he kind of let me know that what I was doing was illegal and that I better shut her down until I got into a commercial building and uh, got uh a retailers and non retailers license. And so that's exactly what I did. And so I, I got it, moved into the new digs, much larger. Uh, I've got a huge area where I can pack and ship now. So uh, the bottom line is I can almost double my weekly sales uh, just by being in that larger location. It's got shelves all over the place instead of having to dig through baskets and boxes and uh, little bins. Uh, I know right where to go to get the tobacco so I can. I can get eighty five pardon me, I can get 75, eighty five uh, packages uh, done on in a weekend, whereas I was usually getting about forty or forty five Wow
0: uh and then of course, uh, you know, we talked about this before we started recording. now you've got a handful you've got a bunch of paperwork uh, that that they bogged you down with, and that's part of what I call trying to legislate tobacco out of business is you know they just make it really tough on you
3: yeah I think that was a great uh, when you when you said that earlier when we were talking that's a great way to describe it because uh, not only do I have three different forms to fill out every month they're complicated forms it's not something that's uh, easy uh, especially when you're having to juggle how much inventory came in how much inventory went out how much inventory do I have in the shop right now I mean that they, they they want you to get it all figured out so once a year whenever they come down and visit you uh i haven't had my visit yet but when they do they you got to have your record straight and uh and show them what you've sold uh show them what's in the shop uh and uh you know those are things that they need to know because the bottom line is the excise taxes is all based on what you have in your inventory and if you're telling them you're selling more or less than uh than what's really showing, then uh, you're in trouble. Yeah,
0: yeah. And how? Is, so you've had added taxes and stuff like that. How has that changed the the way you do the pipe stud site?
3: Well, it only well it it hasn't changed the site any. The only change that I made uh, after 16 years of uh, having a 30 percent commission, uh, I moved it up about six months ago to 35 percent. Uh, Not a big jump, but, you know, after 16 years at 30%, I felt like I could get my raise, so I (laughs) took it. Uh, But also, that that would offset some of the extra costs uh, because I'm having to pay for, you know, there's overhead just for uh, the rent, you know, that you pay every month. And really, that's that's the major overhead is just the rent every month. Uh, I, you know, had to buy a a different, a a second computer and printer and, you know, duplicates of stuff like that that was all minor uh but other than other than the uh uh uh, the overhead from the from the building there's really no extra cost so that five percent covered it all
0: have you restructured the type of tobaccos that you'll take in or yes
3: uh i did that only because uh not because of the move but because of the fact that I get so many people, I now have a waiting list. Uh, you, you can't, under normal circumstances, uh, you can't just say, hey, I want to sell this tobacco, and I look at it and say, oh, that's great. Yeah, I'll take that, send it today, or send it as soon as you can. Uh, now they have to be put on a waiting list, and they're going to sit on it for a month or so before I even call them to tell them to send their inventory, because I just have, uh, I just have so much of it. it. It'll overwhelm you if you're not careful. So they've got to have, uh, most of the time, if it's in production tobacco, it needs to be at least 10 years old, uh, whereas used to, I'd take from five to seven. Um, and I turned down a lot of, you know, Greg Pease, for example. He makes a lot of great tobacco, but the fact is uh, that tobacco is in production. So why is somebody going going to go on my website and say pay the same kinds of prices uh, for uh, 10-year-old Pease tobaccos as they would, Three-year-old McClellan's tobaccos, because yeah. McClellan's is out of business. So uh, you know, I'm I'm being real careful to try to be inclusive, but on the other hand, uh, I'm in it to make money. So whatever you have, uh, the more valuable, the more I want it.
0: Well, and part of that that I want everybody to understand also is that you're now with your with your official license and real and formal business. Uh, you got to pay that excise tax the month that product comes into you. So you really don't want it sitting there for a couple of months because you got that money laid out tax wise. So you only want it to come in, in the month when you can actually post it and and get it onto the website.
3: Yes. Yes. That's, that's true too. The, um, uh, the fact is if I decided to, and, and I have a huge, uh, area where I can, I can put tobacco. But if that thing is full of, you know, hundreds and hundreds of pounds of tobacco that's going to sit there for two months, which it could, uh, I'm paying an excise tax on it for two months in a row. So I don't want that. Uh, So, yeah, that's absolutely part of the equation.
0: Yeah, so pipe studs all grown up and welcome to the big world, huh?
3: (laughs) Yeah, I definitely got out of my diapers fast. uh, But some of the stuff some of the stuff that they make me do now better get back in them.
0: I I remember thinking, uh, I remember you saying a while back that, you know, that you retired from the, from the uh, director of the Texas sports hall of fame. And you just wanted to do this pipe stud stuff as a little, you know, side kind of retirement fun job. And, um, uh, how's that working out for you so far?
3: (laughs) Well, it's not, uh, it's, uh, actually it, uh, it, it is a blessing. I mean, there's no doubt about it. I, 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 I do feel overwhelmed sometimes by the work, but uh, on the other hand, it beats working for a living, and <laughs> I have no complaints there. And uh, I do have, uh, well, right now I, I still have two children in the home and my wife, so I want to make sure they have a good college education. So we're working hard to make sure all that's taken care of, and uh, I sure appreciate all my customers who help make that possible, too.
0: And even more importantly, I appreciate everything you've done every year with the JDRF auctions, and we're doing them again, and you're still a wonderful human being, even though what your wife has told me, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure.
3: Is, <laughs> yeah, I don't believe her. Yeah. Well, you know, seriously, Brian, that the uh, uh, I really have a uh, – I've been so blessed. None, I've had four kids. Not a one of them has had an issue. Uh, And I see people who, uh, parents like yourselves, who who have children who do have issues, and uh, they are so good about the way they handle their children and the way they help them grow up and get through what they've uh, learned to have to live with. And uh, so it's the very least I can do is support it uh, just by selling some things for you every year. Because uh, I, I, I have seen other people that are, uh, in your circumstance, uh, that <clears throat> are just friends or go to my church, and it's a lot of work uh, and time-consuming. and uh, uh, But most of all, it's, uh, you know, the nurturing thing. So all of those things put together, I find that to be such a worthy cause, I wouldn't even blink twice.
0: Well, no matter what most people say, you're a good person.
3: <laughs> well, thank you, Brian. So are you.
0: And them cows out in the pasture that you clip their little things off, you know, they don't, you know, they don't count either, but Steve Fallon. Well, Pi- they're not happy with me, no. no. Steve Fallon, Thank you very much for coming on. Thanks for coming back. Always wonderful talking to you.
3: Amen, brother. Thank you,
1: Brian.
0: We'll be back in just a minute.
1: Being at the forefront of craft tobacco production for over 20 years We've been involved in some rather interesting projects at Cornella Deal. From the Seller Series to the Small Batch Project, we're extremely proud of how far we've come. So, moving forward, we wanted to take it back to basics, and that's what the Burley Flake series is all about. Burley is an underrated varietal, but there is a ton of nuance there. Using various condimental tobaccos to accentuate different aspects of the air-cured leaf, each blend in this series is intended to showcase different individual subtleties inherent to Burley. It's a simple concept, one that I think really speaks to the essence of what we do at CD. As a crew of folks who just love tobacco, it's also really good. Cornell and Deal's Burley Flakes series, wherever fine tobaccos are sold.
4: This is Internet Radio.
0: And we are back. Uh, do check out Pipestud.com. Sign up for his uh, email things, and then that'll let you know exactly when he posts new stuff. And uh, Steve's, uh, Steve does some blogging on there that's, uh, you know, typical Steve. Funny. Uh, folksy. Anyway, all right, for music, I'm kind of like a dog with a bone. Once I get a hold of something, well, I kind of get stuck on it. And uh, right now I'm stuck on this Harry Connick Jr. album of uh, Cole Porter hits. And this one, sorry <laughs> sorry to uh, Casey Ghost, but you get another one. Uh, this is Harry Connick Jr. doing In the Still of the Night.
2: In the still of the night, as I gaze from my window at the moon in its flight, my thoughts all stray to you. In the still of the night, all the world is in slumber, all the times without number, darling, when I say to you. As I...
0: working around the house music or even just sitting and relaxing with your pipe kind of music
2: well let's see what's in the mail
0: mailbag comments or questions can be emailed directly to me brian brian at pipesmagazine.com or you can send them to me via instagram or facebook which is probably not as good or the best way is to go on to pipesmagazine.com and add your comment right below this episode of the radio show yeah there's a little comment section And just like Dino did with last week's show, Dino says Big Rich was as charming and interesting as always. I particularly enjoyed his thoughts on how has your preference in pipes changed over time? Great answer and discussion. Harry Connick Jr.'s Cole Porter album, a Grammy nominee, is a wonderful collection of tunes, and I love Paris too. A very nice coda for Jeff. May his memory be eternal. Thanks, I was entertained. Dino yay you're welcome dino and ira the writing rabbi says a great show kudos on coming up with another seven question format i look forward to all the experts as i enjoyed them all last time around great music that's two out of three and then uh casey ghost says really enjoyed this show it is always a pleasure to listen to one of the heroes of the hobby I know diversity is where it is at, but I sometimes grow tired of these fellows who have never heard of anybody other than themselves. Uh, Esserman's smoking has morphed over the years from a dominant Latakia guy to a guy that likes a number of different tobaccos but leans towards Latakia. I was somewhat the same in my earlier years. Really loved Latakia, but over time I morphed into predominantly vapor smoker. I even went from a person who liked half bents or greater to just a quarter an eighth or a quarter bent. Uh, Unlike Rich, as I got older, I moved from a good size pipe to a bowl size of two to four and max length of five and a half inches. Uh, I usually I usually like conic and I definitely like Cole Porter, but for some reason I thought this song wasn't their best collaboration. Well maybe um I don't know. Maybe you like this song that I just played. Uh, Cigar Master wrote. I don't know if it's possible, but if you can get Mister Esserman to show off his magnums, that would be too cool. Well, I do know that on some of the uh, Facebook pipe smoking groups, Rich will post a picture of his nightly pipe. Uh, you know, usually four or five times a week. So if you're on Facebook, join some of the pipe smoking forums. I'm not sure which ones. Uh, but you can see those there. And then, uh, finally I got an email and it says, hello, Brian, I was listening to your recent podcast with Rich Esserman, which like all your podcasts I enjoyed. However, I'm writing this email to comment on your Dutch listeners, McTier comment, which you read aloud in the email section of that podcast. First, I felt pretty good hearing his open-minded comments about pipe smoking while he himself is not a smoker. I am myself a young pipe smoker, though middle-aged. I've picked up the pipe since COVID kicked in last year. Prior to this, I occasionally would smoke cigarettes, but never truly picked up the habit. This brings me to the point. I have always felt that smokers get a bit too much criticism. No matter how well-intended the critic, uh, no matter how well-intentioned, the critic. And now that I'm a pipe smoker, I'm more keenly aware of this. I too, like your Dutch listener, have observed the slowly changing attitudes of society towards smoking, which is increasingly less open-minded, given the link to increased health issues. I get their concern, but I, I don't like the ostracism that is applied by some people to smokers such that smokers have to look for a doorway or some inconvenient spot on a sidewalk, or such-like place to find a little piece to enjoy their smoke. I'm guessing that most smokers are more worldly-wise these days to avoid making other non-smokers uncomfortable with their smoking. It would be nice, though, if non-smokers would also be understanding of smokers. And I'll interject right there. Ha! Okay, and then he goes on to write, uh, smokers too have rights and i'll interject amen and he goes on to write again i'm not a cigarette smoker but i'm now a pipe smoker and with a view to the future i'd like to think that i can enjoy my pipe outdoors and not feel that i have to find some doorway in which to hang out to enjoy my pipe and period to be not uh, to and to not be looked down upon when enjoying my pipe this brings me to my second point. I believe that pipe smoking is something so different to cigarette smoking, but I believe many non-smokers don't appreciate this. I'm guessing that to them smoking is smoking. It's all bad. I think pipe smoking and to some extent cigar smoking too is different. What I enjoy in pipe smoking, but I didn't weigh back, was the peace of mind it gives me. I can carve out my own time and space to slow down, meditate, yes, meditate, and reflect. It's a treat to enjoy 45 minutes upward, a bowl of nice tobacco, and some time to myself just being. I believe all pipe smokers do. Having dabbled in Buddhist meditation and mindfulness practice, I can say the pipe brings back meditation into my daily routine, and this does give me peace of mind and does mellow me. My last point is that since picking up the pipe, I feel the camaraderie in the pipe smoking community through the pipes uh, through the pipes magazine podcast, Country Squire Radio, and on occasion the Pipe and Tamper podcast. I also feel it with the only other pipe smoker I know, a friend living a stone's throw from me, when we get together and share tobaccos and shoot the breeze. So what I'm saying is thanks to your Dutch listener for being open-minded, I'm open-minded and that's what the world needs a bit more of people being open minded. By the way, on another note, I enjoyed your follow-up interview with John Semmel a couple of months back. Great podcast, all pipe smokers and non-enjoy. Warm regards, guy from Hong Kong. Guy, I couldn't couldn't say it better myself. Yeah, we we as pipe smokers get swept into the large amount of cigarette smokers and personal choice is going out the window. And boy, sure, wouldn't it be nice if there was, you know, like actual space set aside for smokers to, I don't know, you know, like um, sit and have a spot where we can smoke and have, uh, you know, be out of the elements. Sounds like a rant to me. But anyway, guy, thank you very much. Uh, If you have any uh, questions or issues about your pipe smoking, please feel free to reach out to me. And yes, the camaraderie is true, especially amongst the pipe people. I mean, I've said it before, you know, 25 years in the uh, hobby slash industry. And I only know four or five people that I wouldn't want to sit at a table and share a meal with. So, yeah, just a good bunch of people. And remember, if you smoke a pipe and it's got tobacco in it, well, you're a friend of mine. So there you go. Again, comments, questions, email me, brian at pipesmagazine.com com jdrf auction items email me brian at pipesmagazine.com follow me on facebook and instagram and in just a moment rant time I'm gonna have to turn this into an annual rant or maybe a quarterly rant and that rant is the best what is the best well I often hear people ask me what is the best pipe or what is the best tobacco what is the best Virginia what is the best vanilla aromatic what is the best don't ask what is the best the best requires a quantitative study And that quantitative study that only I know of, the the only one that I know of that actually works is what sells the most. Whatever sells the most, well, that would be the best. So there you go. Go on to smokingpipes.com and look up their top sellers. That's gonna be the best because that is a quantitative thing. When you are talking to an individual, You may ask him what is the one that you've enjoyed the most? What is the one that you prefer the most? What is the one you like the most? But I can't tell you the best because keep in mind, my favorite pipe tobacco was one of the, in fact it was the lowest selling Virginia blended tobacco that McClelland ever made, all right? Consistently lowest ranked. So is it the best? No, it's the one I like the most. And it's not the best the best would be the one they sold the most of wouldn't that make sense so remember when you're asking somebody if it's a hotel recommendation in uh, Las Vegas which is where I'm going shortly uh, what is the best hotel how the hell do I know I haven't been to all of them I haven't stayed in every room I haven't experienced every restaurant in every one of them and I don't have quantitative numbers I can tell you what is my favorite and why it's my favorite but it's not the best so ask the right questions give the right answers you'll get what you want don't ask for the best ask what your preference is there we go all right uh, once again jdrf auctions coming up so please 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 reach out to me Thank you to, uh, Mike Zika again for helping out with these seven questions. Thank you to Jeff for his expertise. And most of all, thank you to, uh, the one and only pipe stud, Steve Fallon for joining me. Thank you all for tuning in until next time
2: about The clouds when we're together, just sing a song and think about sunny weather. Happy Dread, Badida, 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 Bumba, Bumba,
0: Kevin did say his mother gave much better hugs.